Running multiple products is really difficult. When you start alone, challenges are different. And now you're doing multi-audience strategies. Now we are looking at a different scale. What do we want to do in the next 10 years? Can we create a unicorn company out of this small town? Hey, awesome people. Welcome to Bootstrap Stories, the only podcast where founders of bootstrap companies share in all transparency the ups and downs of their journey. Starting a business comes hand in hand with loneliness, the pressure of not being successful, and overall, lots of challenges. After meeting with hundreds of entrepreneurs in the past years, I figured out that we all have struggles and make lots of mistakes when building a business. But the truth is that most people are afraid to share this publicly. That's what motivated me to start this podcast, to show that we're all on the same journey, facing the same struggles, and to give energy to all entrepreneurs worldwide to continue their adventure. Even if sometimes it can be really challenging and we often feel like giving up, in the end, it's all worth it. My guest for this episode is Saravana Kumar, founder and CEO of Kovai.co. Hi, Saravana, and nice to chat with you today. Hi, G. Thank you very much for shortening your name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we all have the same challenge, I believe. Like, you know, yeah, I think it's good to have like a short... Shorter version, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before jumping into like the, the chat, uh, I want to give our audience kind of an idea of what we're going to discuss. So in the first part of the episode, I really want us to focus on the strategies that help you to build a multi-million dollar business fully bootstrap. Then I want uh, to talk about, you know, like the, the tough times, because I mean, you've been building this business for about 12 years now, and I'm sure on top of it, you've done it as a solo founder. So I'm sure you will have a lot of things to share. Uh, and after that, you know, I want to know also like uh, your lessons for the future and uh, how exactly do you plan to become uh, a unicorn? Because I read uh, in an article that uh, that was one of your goals. So does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we can uh, jump into the conversation <laughs> and see how, how it's going. Yeah. Awesome. So where are you at right now, like uh, in 2021? What's, uh, what's your current ARR? Um, the, the last public number we have disclosed is a uh, 10 million ARR, which we reached in uh, 2020. So, okay. so that is our public number. So we are slightly about uh, 10 million ARR. Okay, nice. Uh, and, uh, and when exactly did you start uh, the business? The, the company was started back in 2011. Okay. Uh, you know, it just started as a, uh, as a single product and then, you know, gradually it has grown into a multi-product company now. I'd say it's a long journey. It's not a typical, you know, like a fancy stories what you hear these days, like, you know, like a get rich soon kind of thing. It took a long <laughs> time. Uh, yeah, it's nearly, it's like we, last year we celebrated our 10th anniversary. So we are slightly over 10 years as well, yeah. Nice. And uh, what was like, uh, what was, would you say, like the most challenging things in those, uh, in those 10 years? Um, yeah, it's always, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a 10 year is a long period. And from when you started, you know, like uh, uh, at different stages, you face different, uh, different challenges. So initial days, uh, when you start alone, you know, first, first, first challenge is getting a product out and then getting the product market fit and getting the initial customers. So there's, those are all like, you know, step-by-step -step challenges you address one by one. And once you reach a certain level, then next challenge is about uh, creating a team, uh, convincing somebody like, uh, you know, like, uh, 
uh, to get good resources. Uh, probably you won't be able to convince good resources when you are a one person. And then, uh, so you need to start with you know whatever whoever you can convince, and then you know train them, nurture them, grow them slowly, and you know that's why it takes a lot of time. And as you grow, you know, like uh, uh, then, you know, at any point, you always have some level of challenges. Today, the, cha- the, the challenges are different. Uh, when you have, we are about 250 people now. So wow. We nice. are, uh, yeah, we are dealing with uh, <laughs> scale and people management and uh, processes and uh, those kind of challenges. Yeah. We're, we're going to dig deep into each of uh, each of these problems. So I want to start with what comes first. Like you're a solo founder. It's uh, 2011. You're starting the company. Uh, are you a, a coder yourself? Like, or? Yeah, I'm, I'm coming from a technical background. So yeah, I'm a pure technical guy, really hardcore tech, technical, still, still technical. <laughs> still, I, I inflect more on the engineering and product side uh, rather than on the, on the people side, even today. So I'm coming from an engineering background. So initially, the first version of the product was built by, yeah, first two, three years, uh, I was spending a lot of time on the engineering side. Yeah. So were you the first one to build the MVP or did you hire people uh, in the in the first year? No, the, the first V1 was completely 100% uh, my code. So what the, the story is basically what happened was, you know, I was working as a consultant. I'm based out of London. So I was working as a consult for, consultant for 10 years uh, uh, to different companies in, in London. So I got this idea uh, around 2010 and I went back to my manager at that time. And then I said, okay, I got this idea. I wanted to build it up. So I went part-time with that company that time. So went three days and two days and took me about uh, 18 months to build the first version of the product. So I was building like that for about uh, 18 months. So that's how the first V1 was launched here. Nice. And uh, how how exactly did you sustain yourself? You were doing half consulting job, half uh, working on the project, like night and weekends, was it it? Or? No, absolutely. That's right. I think uh, the, so the, the partial funding was actually three days of consulting money. So that is uh, to you know sustain your family and uh, regular stuff. And I didn't have any other expenses, right? Since I was, I was a solo uh, engineer, I was building it on my own. And that is why it took longer as well. Probably, you know, you could have built it a bit more quicker if you had, uh, you know, invested in uh, hiring a few people and then scaling. But initially, I built it uh, myself. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was the initial funding story, like I said, self-funded through the consulting engagement. Yeah. And coming from like a, an engineering background, because I know in the in the bootstrap community, we have like a, a lot of developers, you know, who get started with a side project. And then comes a time where, okay, you've built an MVP. You might not be 100% confident that it's a perfect product yet, but how do you get these first users? Like what, what exactly like uh, was the, the different acquisition channel that you tried? Yeah, I think uh, one good thing was uh, um, since 2004, actually, like uh, I'm, I'm, I mentioned like I was quite a deep in technical side of things. So uh, to, since 2004, I was writing some deep technical blogs about, I was specialized in this one particular technology called Bistock Server. It's a Microsoft product. And the original, the first product was based out of that uh, Microsoft product. So I was blogging since 2000, 2004 for six, seven years. So when I finished the project and uh, uh, first V1 was ready and when, when I launched it, I already had a, uh, about 15,000 subscribers for my blog. 
and they are very targeted audience, you know, like, because I was focused, you can imagine like a security company or something like that, right? I was yeah. very focused on that one particular technology and I acquired that uh, audience base over seven, eight years period without even knowing what I was doing, right? So all, uh, and when I launched the product, like uh, all, I, all I did was I just went and then put a blog post, I think it's still there. I went ahead and said, I did this project and a few, you know, I spent few a few months building it, you know, I wanted feedback and I, I, I think I put a, a trial, free trial kind of a thing. So within immediately, like I was getting the trial sign ups and that is how the initial customer acquisition uh, happened. Uh, yeah, that's really, really interesting to know, like uh, you were sitting, you know, on, on gold and you didn't even know it. <laughs> I love, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I love this mindset of of documenting everything. I think it's uh, it's definitely key. And the way you built your audience first is something we see very few founders, but I think uh, it's a great learning because the more you document, the more you're going to be able to build relationship with people. And down the line, by asking for simple feedback, you generated like already a lot of signups. And just to make sure, uh, before we dig deeper into the acquisition strategy, what's uh, the typical average value of what you're selling and who's uh, the target? So we are a, we are a multi-product company now. So every product got a different uh, um, um, revenue revenue ARPU uh, uh, per customer. So this this product, Bistock 360, is a, is a classic enterprise product. Okay. And it can range anywhere from 10k to 100k per annum. So that's okay. the price point of that. But the, we have other products like Document 360, which is a self-service knowledge base. And that's a typical uh, 200, 300 uh, uh, per month uh, or, or about 2K, 3K uh, uh, yearly. Okay, that's that's actually really interesting. I'm sorry, I'm going to want to jump right into this because it's it's very unusual. First things first, you're doing like a multi-product strategy and now you're telling me that you're doing multi-audience strategy, so enterprise and more SMBs. How do you tackle these things? Is it like a very different department within the same company or how exactly did you structure it? Yeah, I think uh, um, internally, the, the, each product, we have four products now. Each one of them function almost like an independent company uh, on its own. So we have a separate engineering department, marketing, sales, everything uh, is independent to each one of these uh, products. Because as you said, it's a different sales motion for uh, for different products. So one is more sales led, and the other one is more product led. Uh, so we have completely different teams operating uh, on each one of the uh, the products, and we have a very thin horizontal layer like accounts and finance and uh, some stuff that goes across the uh, each product. But internally, all of them are uh, are pretty much independent companies on their own. Yeah. And what was uh, the reasoning behind it to say like, uh, okay, because I'm guessing that when you had this enterprise product growing and you started to get traction, you know, like uh, what you would think is, okay, I'm going to serve maybe with a different product, these enterprise customers, but you went the different route. You went saying like, actually, I have another idea, you know, that could be really great for SMBs. I'm going to go all in. How exactly did you like uh, made that decision? Like what pushed you to do it? No, I think I believe uh, or not believe my 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 important message is, you know, like a necessity is the mother of all inventions. The very first product came out of my own necessity. I was consulting for 10 years and I identified, you know, for every consulting engagement, the same problem comes again and again and again. 
And that's when I thought, okay, there is opportunity to build something and sell it to everybody. And then we build the first product, Best of 360. And since it's an enterprise product, we need to have like a very good knowledge base and, you know, like a documentation for the product because we are dealing with, uh, you know, BBC and Boeing and Shell and those kind of customers. And you need to have a very uh, well-defined knowledge base for your product. And uh, we were using, typically that market right now is is dominated by uh, some kind of a customer support tools like Zendesk or Freshdesk or Intercom. But if you watch carefully, they don't pay too much attention to the knowledge base. The knowledge base is a small feature in that uh, support. And we were struggling, you know, those tools are not good enough for us to have a very good documentation. And initially I did a search around, you know, like, okay, what are the other options? And I found a big gap, you know, like nobody is addressing the necessity of the so many, there must be so many people like us that documentation is crucial for, uh, for a product or service or whatever. That is when we thought, okay, there's a big opportunity and uh, we can, we'll go after it. In fact, the Document 360 is our fastest growing product. We started in 2007 and it's only four, year, four years uh, now and we are already over 1,000 customers for that year. Wow, nice. And uh, and basically, like, can you talk a bit about like the four products just so our audience get to know? Like, So we have uh, the Document 360, which is mainly like uh, mid-market. Correct. Yeah, okay. The, the four products, three of them are in the same category. So Bistock, it's it's more on the enterprise integration uh, kind of a category. Okay. But Bistock 360, Serverless 360, and the Cerebrata. Uh, Cerebrata has actually we acquired the company in 2019. So that's how we, we got that. Okay. So they both the, the three all three of them are uh, are same market, same segment. Uh, one is for uh, on-premise, one is for cloud. That kind of a. Uh, you know, probably this audience whom we are talking to may not even understand uh, exactly what those tools does. Okay. You can, <laughs> you can keep it. Okay. So, it's, you know, some enterprise products used for, uh, you know, integration. Okay. The easy option you can understand is, you know, Z, probably all of you know Zapier and integration yeah. and those kind of products, right? So, those guys got the idea from these enterprise products. It's called Microsoft Bistock Server that's been around for the last 20 years. So, okay. So, that is, that is what it is. <laughs> and Document 360 is a completely different, you know, it's, I won't say SMB because we are still going mid market and the above. Okay. Because we are going, so it's a very uh, sophisticated knowledge base uh, product. So it's, you only need, you know, okay, you need to have requirements like a workflow and versioning, and uh, you have a team of writers writing documentation and those kind of things. So that's a, still a mid market and uh, and the above product. Yeah. Okay. So if I understand correctly, you have like these uh, three products that are mainly enterprise, and another one that is mid market that you created based on your needs. So um, that's that's really interesting and. Uh, for the, the three products that you have on the enterprise level, have you managed, because you're telling me that you have kind of like different teams, have you managed to do a lot of cross-sales between the product or is it something you find challenging? Yeah, those three products, we have a lot of cross-selling opportunity because uh, they all exactly same customer. So the Bistock 360 will typically with a on-premise, uh, their own data center kind of thing. And when they move to the cloud, uh, Microsoft Azure, then they will use the serverless 360. And Cerebrata is the same audience, but a different persona. It's more of a developer, uh, IT pro kind of audience focus. So all three of them are, uh, uh, you can cross sell to each one of them. And that is, a, and it's more sales led uh, products. Yeah. Okay. And do you have like teams that are uh, incentivized to kind of like do cross sell? Like how did you structure it into your, uh, your company? 
we we actually don't you know like uh, 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 there's no separate teams to you know like uh, focused on cross selling which is a standard you know sales team and each each team got uh, their own like uh, sdrs and uh, from time to time you know like uh, there's always you know, even the customer success calls like uh, when when we are interacting with this large customers every three months six months etc we pitch in and showcase what we have done we have shipped and and we try to bring them to demo and uh, I try to convert and, and and also like you know like awareness as well we keep pushing the newsletters to all this uh, cross audiences and you know when we release something or uh, and also on top of that uh, we do an annual event in london called uh, integrate so that that we've been doing it since 2012 and that is one of the very important event for the entire community that uh, integration community in microsoft so that happens every june and uh, there is an opportunity for us to showcase all everything together to to a common audience here so that, that is how all the cross selling happens there nice that's uh, that's really cool and uh, you mentioned that you acquired also one uh, one company so i'm curious like you have a large team you're capable of building pretty much any tool we know that in the the saas world I mean, the entry barrier is not often tech. It might be like the customer, the community, etc. So, why exactly did you purchase uh, this tool? Was it for their customer base, or uh, was it for something different? No, I think uh, a couple of reasons. One is it's actually like a supporting product. So, the Serverless 360 is and the Cerebrata, the company we acquired, are pretty much identical, but they are uh, they are supporting different. Uh, 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 a different structure. Serverless, for example, is targeted towards a teams, uh, a team of people using it. But the Cerebrata is focused on individual uh, person like IT pro and uh, developers and those kind of things. At one point, the two two reasons basically. One point, customers are getting confused. You know, like okay, there's two products in the market. You know, like okay, what are you guys doing? And a lot of times we need to explain like what I did. You know, this is for this. This is for that. <laughs> You know, that is one problem, right? And also, like, uh, they're also slightly growing, not really as a good like-for-like competition, but also we com- started to compete at the different levels. So that's one thing. And the second is a, a talent as well. Like, you know, like, uh, we are in a very, the enterprise and, you know, like, a very specific market and finding right talent is difficult. If you look at the generic SaaS product, you can, you can get generic resources and build it, but there you need domain experts as well. So those are the couple of reasons where we thought, you know, it's better to uh, consolidate and there's a mutual benefit for each one of them, each of both of us. And we acquired the company in 2019. Yeah. Okay. So how, how exactly did the, can you share a bit more details about the deal uh, and how the acquisition went? Yeah, the deal itself is private. They're all the commercial because of the interest of other parties. Uh, yeah, it's also you know like a it's a similar kind of uh, profile. It's a uh, the team is out of India. That's another thing. They are also based out of India in a, a different part of India. So the cultural fit was also there, and then you know like that's why we we just uh, acquired that uh, company. Okay, so how many employees uh, were there in the company? It's about uh, seven. Okay, and you kept them all like uh, no, yeah, okay. That's cool. That's interesting. <laughs> and uh, just, I know you don't want to disclose the exact term, but I think for people, it's very like uh, uncommon to acquire a company or not something. I mean, it does happen, but it's very like uh, opaque. Like we don't always see what's going on. So can you share if it was like a full cash deal 
or if it was like deal with earnout or if it was a deal with potentially equity like what type of mix was it uh, it's all cash yeah it's all cash okay okay cool because i think it's interesting sometimes you know like you see uh, companies acquiring others and then they do a deal which you know from the outside you can say like how can they purchase such a company but actually you know they put equity in it and they structure it in a in a, in a different way, which uh, which can make sense and can get ideas uh, to people. Yeah, that depends on the deal size, right? You know, sometimes you may not be able to acquire. They are also too big and, you know, you, you may not have. Uh, and also you have, you know, like a 50-50 and there's some share options some cash and there's so many ways to structure deals. So it's, it's yeah, w- w- the, the bottom line is you need to work out for both parties, you know, like uh, what, is, uh, what is the correct uh, ratio between uh, both. And then, you know, like, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I'm also curious because you're having like a, a good growth. You have like a good team, good ARR. Um, you're fully bootstrapped, solo founder. Does that cross your mind sometime that you could raise funds and potentially, I don't know, either accelerate or just like do some cash out for yourself? Like, how do you feel about it? Yeah, sure. You know, like, uh, to be honest, I'm not really, you know, a, you know, I, uh, I won't say, you know, I'm, I'm I want to be bootstrapped all the time. It just happened to be like that. There was no necessity for cash at any point in time in the last uh, 10 years journey. Okay. Uh, the very first product, as I said, it's already, you know, since it's, we went straight to enterprise, uh, the ticket sizes were big. You know, you close two, three deals and that's good enough for you to keep the cash flow going. Uh, that is one reason. The second reason is, you know, we are in a very niche market. The first product was in a very niche market. When you're in a niche market like that, you cannot convince an investor or you need to find a very specific investor where their interests are not about uh, uh, getting, you know, like a 10x, 20x growth. It's a, So those two points, I know very clearly, there is, you know, you'll be a waste of time, like, you know, going after investors and raising money. So the first five years, I didn't do, I didn't uh, uh, distract myself. I, you know, I focused 100% on uh, uh, you know, every month you're acquiring like, you know, six to eight customers consistently and the deal bigger, bigger, big logos and things are going and there's no real cash cash flow issues. And also the customer acquisition as well. You know, like most of the time you need money for customer acquisition, not for the engineering. Engineering side you can manage, but mainly the customer acquisition is where the cost will spiral and you need more money. So in our case, since we are on a niche market, the customer acquisition channels were also cheaper but time consuming um, okay. uh, channels right so you know like uh, we need to do events we need to i need to go present in a lot of conferences here and they are very focused on that segment and you know it's a long sales cycle so we didn't need any necessity and what happened was you know like a uh, first eight years you know, until 2019 we were very small we were only like 60 people until 2019 uh, so we focus 100% on, you know, like keeping the uh, reserve money. And then, you know, like only in 2019, end of 2019, we decided, okay, now we have enough confidence. We have enough money to back up. And then we went all in and then we accelerated the company to, uh, we, we hired nearly 10 people a month on average for the last uh, 18 or 18 months or something like that. So we just uh, gone so big. That's huge. And uh, I'm, I'm curious because you're mentioning also like the multi-product strategy for us uh, at Lempire. When we started, we had Lemlist growing like really quickly. And we had also Lempod, which we started after. And that product kind of like skyrocketed. And because we couldn't manage at the time like multi-product, we decided to sell it. In your case, is it something you ever thought of? Like, uh, I don't know, you have like multi-product 
maybe sometimes you're thinking, okay, it might be too much. I want to sell one in order to focus to, because you were mentioning that uh, your new product, for example, is really like uh, having the, the highest growth rate with uh, 1000 customers in two and a half years or something. So I'm wondering, like, is it something that ever crossed your mind or something you're considering or not at all? No, I think the challenges are true because, you know, it's, I know running multiple products is really difficult in terms of mind share, you know, like it's, and also on top of that, you also have different sales motions as well. So you need to consider multiplication of four times three kind of a variant you, you get to focus on. So the way I do it internally is, you know, like uh, uh, the, the first product is, is, is super matured, you know, everything was matured and running more and uh, like a, Uh, like a uh, like an engine on its own, so it's all everything is uh, settled. The product is settled, so that's purely run by the team. Like uh, like my particular focus is on this document 360 for the last uh, four years. Uh, so you know, like I, to be honest, I'm not able to focus on all the products, but I need to take a bet. Okay, it's okay, you know, like let the team runs it, and there may be plus or minus. You know, if you run it, you might run it efficiently, or you might scale faster, but you just you know keep your mind away open and say that's all fine and i keep my focus purely on the product that is scaling faster and where a lot of my attention is required and that is how I run. and also if we go into selling mode again to some level it's a distraction you know you need to go through the whole cycle and you know like uh, uh, you need to let go some of your team as well right it's not that uh, you can give the product and give the team you know you also need to leave the team as well so which i don't want to do like you know you build an excellent team so it's better to keep it and then whatever the product is making that's fine you know we are still it's the profitable it's let it run and uh, also it gives opportunity for the people in the team like you know since we are multi product i'm an engineer and, you know you will get bored eventually you'll get bored after three years four years if you stuck with the same product because it will become monotonous you do the same thing And being a multi-product company that gives opportunity for people to, yeah, and this is, a, it's all done. You know, I'm still good. You know, I, you go, you put it somewhere and then uh, you keep okay. your resources more and more. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So basically you're telling me that sometimes your team is moving from a project to another, just because, you know, like, especially for engineers, it's true what you're saying, you know, like, uh, if you spend four years on one product, you would think like, okay, maybe I'm going to need to test something new. So you're basically saying, yes, you can. But stay in my company like i have no that is how companies like microsoft and google survive you know like yeah. people will get bored they have extremely talented people in the company right who write operating system and databases mm. and stuff you can't keep them engaged for you know like 20 years in the same product so that's how they keep moving and a lot of innovation happens because they form a new team they give new challenges and that's exactly what we're doing here. that's that's really cool and uh, we've talked a lot about hiring and uh eventually firing also. So I, I want to get your uh, your take on that. What's your tips uh, to hire efficiently and make sure that people really fit? Okay, hiring, the one thing what we watch out carefully is uh, uh, that their passion for whatever uh, uh, the role we are picking. If we are picking somebody for engineering, it's very easy how passionate they are about the technology and how they're willing to learn sales and different things. Whether they are, you know, if a customer facing, you know, how uh, the communication and how vocal they are. And I think, uh, you know, the end of the day, the interview process are flawed, you know, like, you know, you can only do so much in an interview process. We keep machine tests and this and that. 
majority of the time we have multiple levels you know like our engineering resource anybody getting into engineering it takes up to four to five rounds of interview and the more higher up goes you know like uh, i i i watch all all our four interviews are recorded so if it's anything very critical you know i watch pretty much all the interviews in a double speed or something and then i give feedback and if required i'll also get in a, uh, on a final level of interviews and in terms of you know firing um yes it's come to a mutual uh, uh, benefit right if both of them should be you know you might have the perfect skill set in the world but that skill set may not be the right skill set for the size of the company where we are and you know like what you're doing at this stage of the of the business so we you know we have very there are very few incidents in the company where we had to let go people but they are only on extreme cases the one thing is you know like being a big reasonably big and multiple opportunities out there we can shuffle people around if they're not working in one place we have option to put them somewhere it's it's from the jim collins book right mm-hmm. so when you're traveling in a bus you know you can change the seat you know if somebody is not good in the front seat put them on the back seat <laughs> you know? and they shuffle we keep shuffling and even then if it's not a cultural fit or if they're not really you know majority of them will come to cultural fit i'll say like otherwise if they're interested you know they'll always try to you know squeeze them somewhere yeah Nice. And I'm curious because, uh, you know, like you've learned a lot of things by doing trial and error, obviously, but it's been like uh, 10 plus years that you've been running these companies. What's kind of your like secret sauce to always be learning? Is this just like reading books or do you have like mentors? Do you have like a coaching program? How do you train yourself? Um, yeah, I think uh, that's a uh various things you know there's no specific uh, uh, thing i'll say I, you know i listen to most of the podcast i listen to you know i read a lot of you can see the, the background is really <laughs> it's not uh, not uh, i know it's uh, i know it's for the podcast <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's my real background so i read a lot of books you know like in fact like the early days i will say the books are my real mentors Uh, because i try to get mentors at the early stage but you know because of the nature of the product you know i was maybe not able to convince anybody to become a mentor so i just jumped in and then read a lot of books and uh, and the, the very early days i attended a lot of good conferences all those uh, uh, software conferences like you know like a business of software is one thing at a very early stage and now we are sastar and uh, sastar and uh, all those things and i listen to a lot of podcasts as well and it's an ongoing thing you know maybe when you are opening in some newsletter somebody has put a nice article i read it and you know like uh, if i if i watch carefully probably in a day you know like a i would say like 90 minutes at least goes to some kind of reading unconsciously you know like mm. uh, uh, that is how you keep uh, uh, keep going forward yeah nice and um basically like you you were mentioning that you've been solo founder from the start Is that something that uh, you kind of like regret after 11 years or something that you would have liked to be different from the start? Okay, that again, you know, like uh, there's a this plus and minus uh, to both sides, you know, like uh, being solo brings its own uh, advantages and challenges and I also seen some of the companies uh, uh, with uh, multiple co-founders and that is a in fact i think that is the second biggest reason for a company's failure the first one is running out of money yeah the second one is actually co-founders, co-founders. <laughs> so you remove the second one <laughs> exactly you know like okay 
one angle it's really good if you if you are the right kind of person right from the beginning you know like you know both are same wavelength one looking after engineering or one looking at technical one looking out to the business side of things will work would have worked out very well but there is no i won't say there's no regrets for me basically but what happened was you know over this period i was able to build up a really good team and to fulfill those uh, co-founder uh, responsibilities right okay so if you if you look after people well you know like you understand you know what they want i still have you know the first five employees still in the company you know for is 8 9 9 years like you know like uh, so that is the culture i managed to build it and you know like uh, uh, now we have really good people in the company and they look after a lot of departments uh and they almost work like uh, co-founders so yeah nice and uh, often you know like uh, we see that whenever a company raise money they start giving shares to their employee um stock options and uh, how exactly like have you managed this because you're fully bootstrapped so technically every time you want to give like option you need to do something uh, with your company etc like how how exactly uh, have you have you started to share like uh, or to give shares to maybe the first employees the one that are kind of like your founding team or uh, do you own everything no i think the thing is we don't have any employee share options in the in the company the, okay. the reason being you know to some extent it's a paper money right unless otherwise you have a, some kind of a liquidation event until that point it's a paper money right yeah uh, you need to have either uh, next round of funding and then people can you know give give us some structure and even in a bootstrap company where none of those liquidation events are going to happen in an immediate future you know i'm not going to get raise money in next two years so I, i don't know right <laughs> that is there and i don't have a, i'm going to plans to sell the company as well right you know I, when those liquidation events are not very clear it's very difficult to tell okay you own 5% of the company or 10% of the company all this uh, it doesn't make sense so what we tend to do is you know like we'll try to get a you know really good salary and you know take the money equation out of their head basically you know like when there is a this is some kind of a bonus elements and you know some some other things like you know for example we took the entire company to singapore and dubai and places like which is unusual for indian company you know like yeah. you will hear stories from best you know like companies like buffer and those guys okay all of a sudden you know like a, a company retreats in, yeah which it's somewhere but it's very unusual for a, and also in india we are not in one of the prime cities like bangalore or chennai we are in a very small town tiruchur uh, city for us to do something like that is uh, you know we almost book the entire flight once to take <laughs> so we do that kind of stuff it's a, that's cool okay money is only one part right for anybody you know like okay if you this is overall package you know i'm doing really exciting work you know i'm i'm well paid and you know like a work culture is good so we try to match it in that package having said that you know like now we are looking at a different scale you know what do we want to do in the next 10 years how big we can get we'll slowly you know like i'll get into you know you know it's nothing concrete but you know that's in the plan to you know address those gaps as well to make sure they also employees also get rewarded in some form first i need to get the structure right right so you need to get the structure right and then we will uh, we'll do okay that. yeah that's interesting because i was looking you know at the story of uh, the founder of uh, mailchimp you know who, who grew his company bootstrapped and then they exited that like crazy i think it was 12 billion dollars and 
their employees, you know, like didn't get anything because they didn't get shares. Like, I mean, I, I think they got a bonus or something, but they didn't get like proper shares. So I'm always wondering because for a bootstrap company, it's if you want to start giving shares, you know, you have to do all this uh, kind of legal thing. It's not so common because as you said, sometimes you just don't want to sell the company and shares in the end are paper money. But if a liquidation event happened, I think it's uh, it's also like, to me, I think it's fair that people, you know, were there in the in the first years or really helped out the company can also benefit from it. But it's, it's uh, yeah. Absolutely correct. That's why until this point, it was not, you know, that was not important. But now I can see it. Now we are actually, the whole company is focused on 2030. You know, like that's why nice. you might have read that, you know, you want to become a unicorn, you know. Yeah. It's a monetary target. That is a good, I thought, you know, it's good to have, like, you know, this from the small city. In fact, our company name, Covey.co, is actually a, the city name. It's called Coimbatore, and it's called Covey. And we all are very passionate about that city. And can we create a unicorn company out of the small town is what our... Uh, <laughs> I love the story. <laughs> yeah, that is where, you know, like, we, we, you know, we might work out uh, something. That is one thing. And the second thing is maybe people should... Uh, you build a trust with the with the everybody. If anything happens like that, they will get something. You know, you need to build that kind of trust as well. It's not, you know, it doesn't need to be in paper all the time, right? When you build up something like that, yeah. And it, well, what's interesting is I was having a chat with the founder of Surfer, uh, Lucian, like a few few days ago, and uh, he basically tell me like um, he was telling me that for him, the first rule was like don't plan more than three months ahead. And whenever I'm chatting with you, it's like I'm planning 10, 10 years ahead. <laughs> no, that is, it is true. And I always look at long term. And in yeah. fact, inside the company, the, the one quote I repeat continuously is from Bill Gates. Uh, people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Nice. Yeah, I like it. So what's your plan? So you, you were mentioning like unicorn. Is it is it 10 years to reach the unicorn status? Is it it? Or? Yeah. 10 years is a, the 10 years. I feel it definitely we can achieve it. The reason the way we are looking at it is, you know, like we are a multi-product company and we only need to make each one of the product to go to 15, 20 million revenue in 10 years time, right? So that is doable with the current market conditions. And, yeah. and uh, you did, the, you have done the hard part, building the team, building the products all in there. You know, now it's all about uh, Scale. <laughs> and scaling and uh, you have 10 years to do that. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it looks like a very simple math. Yeah, you, as long as we are all focused and we can execute correctly, you will reach there. It's just a going there uh, without losing the focus. Yeah. Nice. It's interesting. And how how do you motivate the team like to to get to that goal? I you know I talk a lot inside the team. I actually I don't speak a lot outside, but internally uh, throughout my day, you know, I keep talking and you know I give a lot of feedback. I'm a product guy. You know the uh, the document 360, for example. I spend a lot of time on giving feedback, and uh, I speak to anybody. You know, like yeah, all the way up to intern, and uh, you know, like a very small things. You know, that that's why you need to build that trust uh, internally, right? Like uh, that is the first thing, and the way you can do it is you know over communicate and speak to everybody, and anybody can ping me in. Uh, we use Teams uh, in, internally, like a Slack. And anybody can ping me anytime. And there are some open channels available for people to confidently raise, confidentially raise some certain things. So a lot of cultural things we do inside as well. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, because of the scale of the company, I'm curious. Like you're you're mentioning that you're talking with everyone, but 
what's your like uh, weekly kind of schedule? Do you do like open session one times per week where anyone can come talk to you? Do you have like one-on-ones that are every single week? How many people do report to you? Um, I have about uh, seven people reporting to me. So it's so a head of marketing, head of sales, and then all each one of the product heads. Uh, so they, with them, I have a weekly uh, sync up. So we follow this uh, a principle from traction, you might know. So it's called a level 10 meeting format. So we have a very structured meeting format and comes with good news and uh, uh, issues and uh, to-dos and very, very well, well structured thing. And on top of that, uh, once a month, I have a, a, a couple of big meetings for each product. So they need one is engineering focused, one is a GTM focused. And uh, my calendar is well structured for six months completely. Yeah. So that, that is how uh, I, I run it. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's interesting. And um, if you were to look back, you know, at like this kind of 10 years uh, of entrepreneurship, what would be like the, the top three lessons that uh, you have as a bootstrap founder? Uh, top three lessons, I'll say, you know, first one is, you know, being uh, uh, persistent and patient. You know, that is uh, something, you know, like you keep hearing. A lot of this new uh, new age uh, startups, they want to, uh, I, I think I mentioned already, you know, get rich quick. That won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Things take a lot of time, a lot of energy required. So, you know, being uh, patient and persistent is one thing. And second is all about people. You know, like uh, you can only do uh, so much uh, single-handedly. So you need to invest a lot in people and especially, you know, tech products like this. You're not like a manufacturing company like uh, BMW or something where, you know, machine in a lot of machineries, right? It, here it's it's only people, they produce the stuff. So it's very important to build that uh, trust and uh, 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 people skills and, you know, like uh, how you nurture and grow people. That is the uh, second thing. Uh, third thing I will uh, say, you know, you enjoy the journey, basically. There is, you know, like... Uh, 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 you need to enjoy all the moments, you know, step by step, you know, like every small wins you, you enjoy. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's another thing I tell inside. It's a, it's not sprint. It's a marathon, right? That's why I came 10 years, you know, so <laughs> no point waiting. I'll, you know, work hard, you know, no fun, nothing for 10 years. And then by the time you come to the 10 years, you're naked, right? Like, uh, you know, you keep enjoying throughout uh, the journey. Yeah. Now that's, I think that the most important having fun whenever and whatever you're doing is, uh, is the one most important thing. And for you, like, um, what's what's driving you into like this multiple project? Because you're growing, is this just a journey or is there like a, a mission that drives you and that you're passionate about? I think a few things, basically. One, I, you know, generally like uh, building nice products. You know, I'm more of, a, you know, like uh, when I see a problem, uh, it fa- it's fascinating for me to, you know, like uh, solve that problem and uh, that helps a lot of people. And we are solving it in a very nice way as well, you know, like the best possible way. That is more every day, you know, like uh, uh, I wake up very early, like, you know, like 4.30 in the morning. But uh, for a couple of hours, I spend on product, you know, like that is one thing. The second thing I mentioned, like, you know, like a mission of uh, can we create this large company from this town, Coimbatore, where nobody has done it before. Uh, And as part of that, you know, it's not only... a, just this company, we are building the ecosystem in the town as well. Now we are seeing 
a lot of inspiring you know startups coming and they see us like a like a go to company and that is inspiring for us uh, and the third and final thing is you know like uh, it gives me an opportunity to influence a uh, lot of people's life uh, especially you know when a when a country like india and you know like uh, a lot of talent you know like now we are actually competing at a global level and bringing them exposing them and uh, giving them opportunity to learn uh, so much and compete uh, you know to 200 uh, when you look at it you know the the uh, the most happiest moment is when you look at it you know you are supporting 250 families and that's the that's a big thing yeah yeah that's really cool and i'm i'm sure you will go to uh, to a thousand in the coming years so congrats <laughs> um I know your time is valuable, so we're going to wrap this thing with uh, the three flash questions that I uh, love to ask. Uh, what's your uh, favorite book and podcast? Okay, book, uh, so many, okay. Okay, uh, what is it called? Some MBA, no, I forgot the name of the book. Um, You can quote more than one if you have other in mind that you okay, want to share. Good, 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 to, good to great is a, is a is a good book from Jim Collins. Yeah. Uh, you know that's a, that's a great book. Uh, and uh, uh, Founders Dilemma is another thing. Uh, in a way, uh, what else? Yeah, yeah. It's a, that's cool. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and podcast because you were telling me that you love podcast also. Uh, podcast, yeah, I think I watch Nathan Ledka's one. That is quite yeah. interesting to see everybody. How they react to so many quick questions about their metric. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, they yeah, they said he's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And watch Sastag regularly. Alex, uh, Alex one. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, yeah. Nice. It. And who's your uh, favorite bootstrap founder and uh, why? Um, it's, it's, I think it's simple again. Now that I don't know whether you know the company called Zoho from India. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's same. It's, a, it's the same place, basically. You know, we speak the same language, and we internally we see them as, uh, as our mentors. So it's a bootstrap company, and they are over 500 million revenue. It's wow! Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, Zoe is uh, it's a crazy story. It's yeah. quite quite awesome. And uh, the favorite thing you like to do to regain your uh, motivation and energy during hard times. Um, I do a couple of things, you know, like I said, you know, like uh, whenever, you know, sometimes you wake up and you don't know exactly what to do, right? Like, okay, so many things and you get stuck and you really don't know what, what can you pick. So majority of the time I go towards the product, you know, I spend a lot of time on the product. That is one thing. And uh, when, you know, like you're really lonely, you want to do something, I spend a lot of time on the customer support side, you know, like I just go and watch all the tickets and see like uh, what type of questions it's coming And I also watch the the feedback. We have a feedback portal, customer feedback portal for publicly facing uh, for each uh, product. So I go spend some time there and see like what kind of questions are coming from the customer. And then you can relate, you know, like, uh, okay, what are the challenges they are facing? And uh, yeah, those are some of the things I do when I get stuck and, you know, I don't know really, you know, what to do next. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds, uh, sounds awesome. Uh, where can people follow you and uh, your journey? What's the best uh, contact? Um, I think it's not. It's easy to find me on uh, LinkedIn. Um, I don't. Perfect. Use, I don't. I don't use Twitter anymore. And uh, <laughs> we'll put the we'll put the link to your uh, to your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Saravana, thanks a lot for sharing all these uh, golden nuggets with our audience. 
Um, if you have any closing words, the floor is yours. Okay, you know, I think I thank you very much. You know, I really enjoy you know like uh, these interviews, and sometimes you know the time for you to reflect back. You know uh, what you've done. You know, when only when people ask you certain questions, you realize, okay, yeah, you've done this, you've done that. You know, otherwise you forget. And you know, thank you very much uh, for uh, taking your time and uh, doing this. Yeah, well done. Thanks. Thanks a lot for joining. Have an amazing day. Take care. Thank you.